0: The Computer Science Channel connects you to computing and its impact on the world around us, from commerce and communicating to connecting and cybersecurity, from computational biology to tracking your health. Discover what the
1: future will be at the Computer Science Channel.
0: Good afternoon, everybody. It's great to be here with you. Um, as I said, my name is Alessandro Muti. I'm a fellow engineer uh, at uh, WeWork. I uh influence uh, the whole uh, uh technology architecture for for the um, for the whole company um i uh, very briefly i started my career 30 years ago uh at microsoft i was on the windows 3.1 uh, software um, operating system. I was on the kernel, spent uh, several years uh, at Microsoft in various roles. I led the Java VM uh, development team in 97. I also am the guy that invented Windows Automatic Update. Uh, there was one of your colleagues uh, earlier that gave a speech about uh, software updates and I did like... Oh. I, if we could talk about that. Uh, and most recently, right before we work, I, uh, I spent several years at Amazon. I was at the head of the Amazon transportation uh, team, overseeing a team, uh, uh, also as a, as, a, as a fellow engineer, overseeing about 1,800 engineers there.
2: My name is Parand, and uh, if you know how to spell that, you will be able to get in touch with me, because there are very few of us. Um, I went to UCSD for very many years as an undergrad and then I went to uh, grad school here. Uh, didn't finish my master's. I, I was actually Gary Cottrell, who was my advisor, was here earlier. Um, left to 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 actually go start a company. Um, and I've started three companies. Uh, the first two, okay. The third one uh, worked out well and I ended up selling that to uh, a Bay Area based company called Coupa, which does business spend management. So essentially, uh, purchasing software for large companies when they want to buy tables and chairs or really anything, it goes through our software. Um, what I do there is essentially anything data. So um, we have spend data for a large number of large companies, and that allows us to to essentially extract intelligence from that. So we can tell you um, for anything you want to buy, who the best person to buy it from, what the prices for that would be, uh, how long it should you take you to take uh, to to buy that, what kind of approvals need you need, all kinds of actionable insights that you can derive from that data that we give back to our clients so that they can improve their processes. And also, I should mention, uh, this year I'm officially an entrepreneurial residence at UCSD, uh, which means I'm here as a resource to help uh, entrepreneurial students or faculty who want to get into the startup world. Um, I'm here to help you with that. So if you're interested in that, learn how to spell my name and we can get in touch.
3: That's pretty cool. Uh, hi, everyone. I um, said, my name's uh, Ryan Shalou. Also, if you can spell that, I'm probably the only one. <laughs> um, I'm a, a senior software engineer and tech lead at, at Folio. Um, I did I go here uh, to UCSD, uh, graduated back in 2015. Um, originally went, uh, all my internships and whatnot were up in the Bay Area, and so naturally went up there for a year after, after graduation, and uh, absolutely uh, deeply missed uh, San Diego, so quickly came back down here. I've uh, been with Apple ever since for the last uh, almost four years now. Um, senior software engineer and tech lead uh, is, a, is an interesting spot because it's a transition kind of from in the weeds and writing code every day to more of a, a managerial role, uh, higher level things, um, directing the, the ship rather than, uh, you know, paddling the oars. And so uh, it's a really interesting spot for me to be in and um, I'm really enjoying it.
1: Wonderful, thank you. So I was also asked to give a little bit of insight on my end. Um, I actually came to UCSD after 10 years in industry. So my first job in industry was to design chips. I designed chips for Altera Corporation. After that, I worked at HP, more on low-power systems. That was six years, all in Bay Area. And then I saw San Diego. and The rest is history. <laughs> I came down here in 2005 and have been teaching embedded systems grad classes and undergrad introduction to digital design. I very much love working with students. In fact, the top reason why I went from industry to academia is because my favorite day of the week at HP was the day that I worked with students at Stanford. So I decided to flip the schedule, do mostly students, and then visit companies periodically. And that actually brings me to the second question. What do you most like about your current role in your company?
0: Very good. Um, so in my case, I, uh, I love the fact that I am in IC. I don't manage people. Uh, to me, uh, at some point in my career, I found myself uh, managing 600 engineers, and I really didn't like to do that because it took me too away from the passion I had that is software engineering, software architecture. I am a fellow engineer that still code. I travel with my laptop whenever I have a time on the plane or wherever I put my laptop up. I build a prototype, I build algorithm because I find that the, just like you, I love to teach, I love to engage with the engineers. Uh, uh, I travel a lot because I feel that uh, we work... Uh, um, had offices in various, uh, in various city, uh, San Francisco and New York at the moment. Uh, last year we had a lot of other, uh, Shanghai as well. And uh, to me it was very important to go physically work with every engineer, with every team that needed uh, the design and the architecture and, the, and basically the mentorship. And so I love the capability to mentor and to solve large-scale problems.
2: Uh, for me... Uh I've been very fortunate, so I've spent most of my career in startups and companies that I've started. And there's a certain pace that you have in those early stages where you can just sort of go as as fast as you can. Um, I've worked briefly at larger companies, and and that's not a good place for me. It, it's, uh, it's it's sort of it, just the pace is not what I want. So what I particularly enjoy about what we do right now is we're still a fast growth company. We're, we had an IPO about two and a half years ago or something like that. So. We're kind of not a startup anymore, but um, still growing very fast. And the particular area that I work in, which is data, uh, is not solved problems. It's not like taking something that's sort of off the shelf and applying it. It's a bunch of hard problems for which there are not good answers yet. And it's really fun to try to get those good answers.
3: Um, For me, kind of from what I explained earlier, it's – I really enjoy um, still like being an engineer, right? being uh, down in the weeds and, and being able to really have uh, a low-level impact on what we're building. Um, but in my current role and what I'm so much more enjoying is really being able to, to step out and mentor other engineers, um, being able to really just, um, just bring the, the company to a, a different direction or be a part of different things. And so um, we have a, a great culture and, and I just really enjoy um, all that we are able
1: to do. Wonderful. Thank you. So for the audience, feel free to ask questions at any point. Just raise your hand and I'll get you a mic. In the meantime, I'm going to pose a question that my class of 150 undergrads posed uh, yesterday when I told them there was a panel. And that is, what technology excites you the most right now?
0: Um, well, I'll... Uh, uh yeah so technology uh there are a lot of technology there are a lot of different uh, uh challenges that we have at least in my experience uh you don't always have the opportunity to play with the latest technology you need to play in some cases with the technology you had there because maybe you're building on top of what previous team and build uh i do think that uh, uh the area where i enjoy the most is really cloud uh, architecture type of uh, system, the the moving away from uh, the standard monolithic type of system, moving farther, just the uh, service-oriented architecture, moving into true microservices that a lot of people still confuse service and microservice and the architecture are actually not right, and really moving to a functional type of architecture in which you uh, strings together the various transforms that you build uh, to uh, modify your data from w- the way it's really stored in your store to the consumer that need to effectively consume that data without making the mistake of ca- tapply, uh, cap- tightly coupling the user experience with how the data is actually stored or represented. And so that is uh, one of the areas that, that I find the most exciting right now. Uh,
2: for me, my background is machine learning. So I used to do... Uh... What they call now deep learning, uh, I used to do very shallow learning to match my personality. And uh, so um, that area has grown so much, and there's so many interesting things. Uh, I have attempted to try to catch up with some of the academic literature, uh, but just, again, the pace is way too, there's way too many papers. So I, 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 so I actually tried to collaborate with some students at UCSD just so they could read and explain it to me. Uh, but that area is super exciting, super interesting, I feel like. Um, there's a lot of hype around it, but there's actually a lot of meat behind that, uh, weight behind that arrow, whatever it's saying is. Uh, personally, I'm also very interested in virtual reality. Um, that's another area which I think is very hype, but I'm very interested in, once we have very viable virtual reality technology, what does society look like? If you think about the amount of time people spend online, if you have a very compelling experience in virtual reality, what kind of time are people going to spend in there? And, and I know a lot of people think of like the matrix and the negatives of that, but how can we make that into a very positive thing?
3: Um, I think my answer changed to this question this morning after the yeah. keynote by uh, <laughs> by Ed. It was uh, really great to see, and, and so exciting to see uh, with machine learning and all and these advances, and being able to have this augmented reality that that we saw is is just truly exciting because you can really see and fast forward the you know the this technology in your brain and see where it will lead and, and how. You know uh, how advanced it will get, and how much it could it could better our lives if used, right? In in a, in a good way, and and keeps people still social and stuff like that, which I really appreciated that he mentioned. Um, we're very uh, customer faces, uh, customer focused company, and so I'm excited about any technology that better[s] our our customers' lives, of course, um, and that being a, a very much just anything that we can automate for them or provide services for them. Uh, in a very uh, smart way rather than them having to do these, these tedious things. And so a lot of uh, this artificial intelligence as we progress in that way um, is going to allow us to better and better you know, serve them. <laughs>
1: So I'm personally super excited about this intersection between AI and the novel uh, developments in hardware. Because uh, the picture that was painted this morning and what people get super excited about really needs to be driven by really fast uh, and new types of computing systems that don't exist quite yet. Um, so my group actually has focused on how do we design these systems and how do we create software that will make it easier for people to use this novel hardware. So one example is we can now run classification almost six orders of magnitude faster than it's possible with the fastest possible algorithm today. Uh, and we get the same accuracy. So, and why I'm where I'm at is exactly for this reason. And I was working at HP Labs. I could do a lot of different projects, but they all had to be related somehow to the company goals. The problem was that I always had lots of ideas that maybe did not exactly overlap with company's goals. Um, so now that I'm faculty, um, I can pretty much do whatever I want as long as I can get money for it, <laughs> which turns out isn't as hard as you would think. <laughs> so, um, I think I would liken being faculty to running a very small startup. You know, because really you get to build your own team, you get to raise the funding, you keep getting to raise the funding, (laughs) you know. And I think the really ultimate goal is to train the new minds to go out and develop the technologies either in industry or to continue research in academia. And I think I've loved seeing the results of that. I like the human output, I guess you could say. Um, so another question that was raised by my students is, what kind of research is your company currently most focused on?
0: Yeah, that's um, <clears throat> that's a very uh, good question. Um, <clears throat> in particular, uh, WeWork is uh, is a company that a lot of people don't imagine the amount of technology we actually need to need to build. There is a lot of complexity in uh, uh, in the space of. Uh, a uh, co-working type of uh uh, location because you can have one individual, you can have uh, enterprises, uh, uh, you know, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, uh, Facebook. Many of very large enterprises use our building as well as just one individual. And uh, to connect, in fact, this with the keynote this morning, uh, augmented reality is something that we have looked into and we are uh, using in a lot of uh, interesting way to try to bridge the gap between the member that are actually getting. Into a new space or uh, having to discover how do you interact with printer? How do you interact with a coffee machine? How do you interact with all these various devices that are out there? How do you even find your path as it goes through? Uh, and so there are a lot of uh, um, challenges, as we have heard uh, uh, today, of how do you find the right uh, path inside a building up and down stairs and things like that. And so that is an area where uh, we are doing some, uh, some thinking. Uh, the other area is uh, uh, a deep analysis of how human actually use building the uh, the building uh, are a place where we spend so many hours every single day and uh, we are trying to understand are you happy in a particular type of environment where you go into a conference room how are you interacting with the objects that are around you uh, do you enjoy a space where uh, you know is more social with couches or do you prefer for more desks where you can kind of go and work by yourself. And so we've done uh, a lot of uh, uh, investment into both hardware devices that enable us uh, to capture uh, the... The feedback from the human maintaining though the privacy and the security, so how many people do I have physically in a conference room without really end up having to stream a video of those people that uh, because we have confidentiality issues so that's uh, those are areas where research uh, uh, is very interesting for us
2: um for us, we primarily deal with um data, so at least that's the area that I deal with so. We do a lot, lot of uh, like classification and normalization. Um, uh, we build models around, for example, fraud detection. So it's sort of the application of reasonably classic uh, statistical and machine learning models to data in the purchasing space. And then if you think about purchasing, you're usually buying something from someone. So I sort of figuring out how do we normalize those somethings so we know, oh, you're buying pens or you're buying computers. Uh, and who you're buying it from, oh, you're buying it from the same person if you called it Staples and I called it staples.com, those are the same entity. So we sort of deal with large amounts of transactions uh, and trying to make sense of those by clustering, classification, and normalization.
3: Um, for us, like I said, um, we're interested in, in really looking into and, and researching different ways that can automate our customers' lives. Um, a specific example would be um, we have a, a software as a service for... Um, Web app for property managers, and property managers spend a lot of their time uh, dealing with, uh, you know, giving showings or showing appointments um, and whatnot. And so they'll spend a large portion of their time that they're not actually, you know, quote billable hours uh, uh, dealing with, you know, showing people these apartments and and whatnot, and just the administrative part of texting people back or um, all the logistics there. And so uh, one of the main areas that we have is. Um, an app that we have called Lisa, which is a um, automated, uh, you know, property showing uh, chat bot, if you will. Uh, and so there's a lot that we're going into to try to better and better our um, ability to automate that process for our for our customers. And so when someone reaches out for a showing, uh, the, the bot is actually the one texting them back and can recognize things like, you know, I want to see X apartment on this date, this time. And Knows the schedule of, of the property manager and whatnot. So really, just getting into those um, areas of research that we can automate um, processes, you know, cumbersome processes for our customers.
1: Wonderful, thank you. Um, so one question that comes up very often when you talk to students is, how did you get to engineering in the first place? And furthermore, what got you into research eventually?
0: Um, <clears throat> So in uh, my case as being curiosity, I think I am one of those uh, human beings that was at the right time at the right uh, place to a certain degree. I think if I would have been born five years earlier, I would have become a watch repair guy <laughs> uh, or one of those people that repaired TV. And if I would have been born five years uh, later or maybe 10, I would have become just another cogs in the larger wheel of operating system development. I just happened to be... Uh, uh, I, I did electronic engineering uh, uh, in uh, in Europe before Microsoft hired me, but uh, fundamentally to me it was just a passion of how things work. I take things apart, I learn how to cook at some point in my life because I was interested in the processes that, that take place. Uh, I hack my vehicle, I hack everything <laughs> that I can get to, and uh, to me it's just uh, a deep desire to break things apart. I've broken more things that I've fixed, I've got to say. That's
2: the fun part. Right. The fun, absolutely. Uh, for me, I was going to be a mathematician, and then uh, I, as a freshman, I decided I'm going to take some graduate-level math courses. Realized I do not nearly have the brains for that, uh, and I didn't realize I don't have the, the discipline to be a real engineer, so then I became a computer science guy. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and I, I just kind of enjoy but sort of um, slightly more seriously uh, at least in computer science it's a very creative act you're building things and you're sort of imagining things into being um, and that that I really enjoy when you want to say I want to create something and you got to think through step by step how do I get there and eventually you have a thing that's maybe not physically tangible but you can still interact with and that's what I enjoy
3: very similar for me Um, I feel like there's two different mindsets and and uh, one is like I, I Work hard on a problem, and I solve it right and i 'm like so happy I solve it like let's let's take a break and like if things change and and break my problem like like i'm pissed right so that's that's one mindset my my mindset and I think what draws me into computer science is like the fun part is the challenge when the challenge is done that 's boring right so like Getting like let's let's have things change faster and faster and faster which especially in computer science happens very very quickly we We're talking at lunch about and something built five ten years ago could be could be ancient and so um, I think that that mindset certainly led me towards this and just wanting to wanting to build things wanting to make things happen That didn't already exist if I wanted my phone to do a certain thing I wanted to go make it do that thing rather than you know purchase this app or that app that might do something similar and so Before even really knowing computer science as a thing, it's like, well, how do I just go make this thing do do what I want it to do? And it's just kind of led me every step of the way.
1: So for me, it's very similar, actually, to your story. Uh, Some of it is being born at the right time. Wasn't exactly the right place. Uh, So I was born (laughs) in Croatia uh, many years ago, (laughs) I won't (laughs) specify. And when I was a really little kid, you know, when you're born a girl, everybody gives you dolls, right? Uh, The problem was I really didn't find dolls interesting at all. What I was curious about is how do you build a doll? So literally every time I would get one, I would take it apart and look how it's built. And to this day, if you visit my grandpa's house, you'll find a little box with doll parts that have never been assembled. (laughs) Um, A little while later, uh, my mom took me to a library. That was when the first computer arrived to Croatia. And she was there to look up some stuff from chemistry. She's a chemist. And I was there because, you know, she had nothing better to do with me, essentially. And there was this terminal with green letters on it that were blinking. So I thought, oh, this looks kind of interesting. And the next thing I know, I'm learning how to program in BASIC. And a little while later, uh, I had been spending many a day taking first a bus and then a tram. Took about an hour to get to that same terminal so I can continue playing and tinkering took another two years before I convinced my parents to buy a computer. Uh, after they bought a computer, I promptly played with it, of course. Got all the games you could get, realized that I couldn't finish my favorite game because I kept dying about halfway through. So then I hacked into assembly and changed the <laughs> register so I get infinite lives you know? <laughs> and finished the game. <laughs> Uh, After that, I wrote my own game, decided that I was definitely done with computer science. I knew how to write code. (laughs) So I wanted to learn how you build computers. And that's how I got into electrical engineering. So my undergrad, master's, and PhD are actually in electrical engineering. And then you ask yourself, what am I doing here in computer science? It's kind of an obvious question. The real answer is I tried to keep all these computer scientists honest, you know? <laughs> they keep telling me I want to run this, I want to run that. And I keep telling them, you know, if you really think a little bit about what hardware you're running on, it would run way better. <laughs> <laughs> so how I got into research? Um, It really has to do with the fact that I get bored super fast. And if you look at the projects that I've run in my group, just the breadth of them, I think I pretty much beat any faculty in this department. It ranges from low-level chip design and even analog circuits. So my master's thesis was high-speed interconnect design and driver-receiver circuits, if any of you don't even know what this is. Um, two smart grids, you know, this was a recent project I ran, and also healthcare uh, for the elderly. Uh, so really a big span, and that's why I think, for me, academia has been a perfect spot, uh, because it allows me to, you know, move seamlessly. It also allows me to work with incredibly smart students from various backgrounds. So my group is generally about half computer science, half electrical engineering, uh, with some others sprinkled in, I have an economist in my group. I have a couple of mathematicians. I had some computer science students. I had one mechanical engineer, one material science student. So it's, it's a lot of fun in my group. <laughs> so anyway, that is how I got into what I'm doing. Uh, and uh, yeah, go ahead. I like to hear, uh, probably mostly from Aaron, is because
3: um, I live here in San Diego but work in the Bay
0: Area. Yes. I like or mindset my, uh, my sample on uh, the startup community and the industry of the local
2: uh, community. Absolutely. Um, do you, should I get into this now or do you want to go through? okay so so uh, this is a this is a, an area that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I I really like San Diego. I've actually tried to move a couple times but but I just really like San Diego. Um, so I want to improve the the environment here. Um, very clearly, the Bay Area is a much stronger community um, in pretty much every way, from, from finding mentors to finding people who have done it before uh, and have succeeded or failed but can mentor you. Uh, funding, if you want to scale your company, everything is there and set up for you. So the obvious answer is Bay Area is is a fantastic environment to, to, to work in. Uh, on the downside, it's very expensive, and it's very, very competitive for talent. Um, even for us, we have a hard time attracting the talent that we want because there's just so many people vying for that talent. Um, the flip side of it is, if you actually want to start a company, uh, there's really nothing standing in your way. San Diego has well more than enough. If you actually look at it, you know, the Bay Area is kind of the example that everybody gives. But if you move past that, then San Diego is one of the best places to start a company. Um, there's a tremendous amount of talent. There's a, there's a very good amount of funding. Uh, and you can really get very, very far here. Um, and at least in the earlier stages of your company, you have a distinct, distinct advantage, because it's much less competitive for the, to, to get the talent that you want out there. In the Bay Area, you really have to kind of compete with everyone. Here, there are less fun things, so you get to you get to grab the the good people. So, um, I think San Diego's, and, and it really, if you look at the growth of the startup community in San Diego in the last couple of years, it's been fantastic. So. I'm very excited by where we are and where we're going. Um, but yeah, Bay Area still still leads us. So, so Paul, give me some examples of, of startups that you think highly of around San Diego. Um, there's a startup called Sochi. I don't know if you've heard of them, SOCI. They, do, um, they manage your social profile. So it's actually a gentleman I know who's a founder. They just raised, I think, $15 million like yesterday or something like that. Um, uh, there's a number. There was a, actually, there was a hardware acceleration startup for, for a, a machine learning chips that Intel acquired a couple of years ago. Um, there's a good number. I haven't kept them in touch as much as I should, but, but there's, there's a good number of them
1: out there. Yeah, there is a company that was acquired by Illumina two years ago for $100 million. They accelerated uh, sequence alignment in FPGAs. Um, I would say so. When I was coming down to Bay Area uh, from Bay Area here, um, I actually also had an offer on partner track in one of the top Sand Hill Road companies, and I spoke with them and asked them. So if I'm going out of the Bay Area, where would you go to start a company? And all of them said down to San Diego. That was the top choice, especially if you're doing anything in biotech. Uh, I have somebody back there. Sorry
0: to interrupt. Uh, my name is Steve. Goldberg. The startup
2: question.
0: There's actually quite a few incubators in San Diego. Um, Nexus, Evo Nexus, etc. There's a whole bunch of those. If you go to those sites, you'll get a
2: lot of details on. It is a very robust startup. Thank startup.
1: Thank you. Problem. Thank you. And since we are on the startup question. One question that students often have when they come see me is, how do I figure out where I should get a job? Should I go for a startup? Should I go for medium-sized company? Should I go for big company? What are the trade-offs? What kind of personality you know, and what type of interest best matches these different companies?
0: I think you're probably going to get a different answer by every human being yeah. that exists in that sense. I, uh, I personally think that everybody should go to both a small startup and a big corporation if they have the opportunity to uh, see how, Things are done. You learn a lot of things in both in both cases. I myself had uh, a couple of uh, three startup on my own uh, one with a successful exit too. that were fantastic balls of fire uh, that <laughs> <laughs> that uh, came through. Uh, but uh, in my par- particular case, I felt that uh, working with large company, you know, multi billion dollar type of company, sweet. Even if they are start, if they're called startup, right? Uh, does, uh, suit my type of interest better. I build better architecture. I have more engineers that are available. I can go and create new technology. I can create partnership with other company that otherwise would not even get me through the door if I have that capability. And so I find that uh, having a company with uh, an executive team that understand the power of investing in uh, the future, not just, uh, you know, the next six months, is where I find the best uh, uh, environment for me, because I can create just a little bit like you. I can go play an area where another company I wouldn't be able to do it, uh, and, and that's it. But... Absolutely, uh, corporations teach you processes that otherwise you might never learn, and startups teach you how to just do the things, String your cat five in the middle of the night through the ceiling because you don't want to pay somebody else to do it because they're charging you way more than you're making at that point in the company.
2: Yeah, for, for me, it's actually kind of an easy answer. Uh, everyone should go to a startup. Everyone should start a startup. If you don't want to do that, then join a startup. Uh, because you can always go to industry. It's out there, and, and those are out there. Um, as someone who's an undergrad and then you're graduating, you're kind of living the student life anyway. Hopefully, you're not taking out too many loans. You're kind of living a frugal life. That's, your earning potential at the start of your career is much less than 10 years down the line, so you're kind of, your opportunity cost is lower. At a startup, you will learn so many things so quickly uh, in pleasant and then extremely unpleasant ways as well. But it's sort of like a boot camp, and you will learn things at a pace that's impossible anywhere else. Uh, when we started my first company, I was about as clueless about as many things as you could possibly be. Um, and then very quickly, you learn how to negotiate contracts, how to raise money, how to clean the office, how to you know, uh, do HR, all of these things. Um, that pace and that amount of learning you can cram into one or two years, Will take you about 10 years to learn elsewhere. Um, I highly encourage everyone to give it a try because, and, and sort of a lot of, so, so I've hired a lot of people straight out of UCSD. And I love doing that because you get really smart driven people who are kind of raring to go. And then, and then if you kind of point them in this direction, they, they go on to do amazing things. Uh, and a lot of folks that I've worked with have gone on to, to industry and have done amazing things. But for me, those first few years, just put yourself through the ringer and just, just go for it. You'll fail. Startups always fail. But that's great. You will learn so much that you will succeed in everything else you do.
3: Um, I really like that answer. Um, for me, uh, having recently somewhat uh, had these questions, um, I used internships. I had three internships in my, in my four years, and that was on, solely on purpose because I felt... Like, I was getting so much learning out of my internships, more than I was even from, like, spending that time doing more more schoolwork or something like that, right? And so, uh, for me personally, it was just getting out there and, and actually seeing it. Like, um, uh, like it was said, everyone's going to have a different uh, que- uh, answer to this question. Um, so, you really have to go find what suits you best. Um, and being able to try out a startup and being able to then go to industry, even potentially all before you graduate, is essentially like really really powerful and then from there um, do whatever you know you find most passionate
1: so for me um, I worked first in a I would say medium-sized company Altera was about 400 people when I joined Uh, what I loved about that job was I got to build a product that literally millions of people have used uh, and I think still use in fact which is amazing uh, it was also a ton of fun learning how to do it. You know, when you design your first chip, you learn a huge amount. And you also learn how to work with big teams of people. Because, you know, it's easy actually to put transistors and circuits uh, down. It's not so easy to figure out how to get all the software to run and all the testing that you need to do in parallel to actually designing the chip that hasn't been produced yet. And so I think that was fascinating to me. Um, what was challenging is that uh, uh, when you actually have success, which is great, then they want you to do more of it. Uh, so if you're the type that wants to do more of it, it's great. If you're the type like me that uh, enjoys learning the first time around and then needs something entirely different, then it's probably better to be in research like I am. Um, when I was at HP, I think, uh, as Alessandro mentioned, the impact you can have uh, as you build a large team is way bigger than anything I ever thought was possible. You know, I found myself negotiating with other big companies, you know, combined, making deals and creating products that, you know, there's no way I would have done at Altera. Um, so I think that was amazing. Uh, what I found challenging is the administration and all of the t- you know, red tape that you run into is also quite impressive. (laughs) And and I think that's where I learned that there is a personality that works really well, you know, in big companies or big institutions. Uh, And I also learned that that is not my personality. (laughs) So so I think, you know, the startup people, uh, I would say, you know, my personality is definitely closer on that side. Uh, academia is kind of a weird blend because, you know, UC is a big administration. You know, if you think HP uh, had a lot of red tape, this place got way more. On the other hand, as faculty, you can be pretty well isolated from most of it. So you can run your little lone startup, you know, <laughs> without necessarily having to worry about most of it. So, I, so I've really liked the balance I have. So I guess the question I have for you guys is, when you first got your job, what did you find most challenging or most difficult? And what do you find most difficult now?
0: Um, Well, so I think that for me, considering that my very first job was at Microsoft, I mean, at the time, Microsoft wasn't, the Microsoft that year today, we had five thousand people, was smaller, uh, but uh, was my first job. I I come from Europe. I mean, the gas uh, that you put in the car has a different uh, uh, color and things. There were so many things that were different that I had to learn a lot of things. And in fact, uh, um, to me, that became the norm. And for eleven years uh, uh, that I was in Microsoft, I thought that that's how. People actually interact at work. People, this is how you do things. And in fact, I've got to say that it took me another 10 years after leaving Microsoft to detox from a culture that a lot of people that incredible that create a lot of incredible thing. I was fortunate enough, uh, because I did have the occasion to work uh, close enough with Gates and lead uh, a technology and architecture that revolutionized how the computer industry has done it. But but also was an environment that was hyper-bruising. It wasn't the environment that we have today. And so for me, when I came out of there, it was like, well, that's how you do things. And if you can't deal with this, if you're crying leaving my office... I don't understand what's wrong with you. It's you, not me. And, uh, and literally it took me several years to, to realize that actually that's not a good environment and that collaborating with people is way better than actually getting into intellectual fight and brawl in a conference room. Um, and uh, you know, I think that uh, uh, as I mentioned, I become a more a- a aware of the strengths that I have and the weaknesses that I have, and this is why I carefully always go now for the IC role because I don't like to have large PNL, I don't like to have large organization. I like to be able to take this incredible new idea, bring them forward, see where I can go with that uh, in in an organization that allow me to. Go experiment, and if I'm successful, that's great. And if I'm not successful, I don't have a lot of other people that I drag down. So almost like the incubator in as a startup into attached to very large uh, organization. So I don't know if I answer your question, but that's uh, <laughs> what came out.
2: <laughs> Makes sense. And I see here just because some people have been individual com- contributor as opposed to team manager. Yeah. Um, For me, I I was very fortunate in my first job, uh, although it wasn't the job I was a consultant, uh, was with a gentleman who ran essentially a research group. uh, And it was in the very early days of the internet. So we ended up actually just doing a bunch of really fun things very early days of the internet and building a bunch of innovative things. Um, And I'm struggling to find challenge. That was probably the best job I had. It was just like really a lot of fun. And and the guy who ran the team was an amazing human being. and I was very, very fortunate to be there. Um, my second job, which was the first company I started, uh, you know, I like to tell people, when you have a job, you complain that your boss is an idiot, you don't have mm-hmm. enough budget, marketing people are terrible, and sales people can't sell. When you start a startup, all of those things are true, except those are all you. <laughs> so, so that that was really the challenge of just kind of uh, uh, running into roadblocks in every way possible, and then realizing you're, you're the only one who can... We can move past those roadblocks. So um, uh, very, very, very challenging uh, in every way possible, including sort of becoming an emotional wreck, but also a lot of fun because you, you learn a lot about it. But, but also the highest highs and the lowest lows.
3: Um, for me, uh, as a new grad and getting a first job, especially um, in software engineering uh, in the industry that, that we're all in, um, the biggest challenge for me and, and what I see a lot in, in a lot of our new hires is really understanding um, how much impact that you can make even from like your first you know year uh, with a particular company it 's really challenging because you might think everybody here has these policies in place or these frameworks set up in a way that 's so Perfect and, and, and what do I know to, to change them, but you end up seeing a lot of inefficiencies or, or things that, that you might want to challenge and, and At first, I think the most difficult thing outside of of course learning maybe a new tech stack or or learning even how to how to do the job um, is just understanding that you can actually have a, a very big impact and and the ones that that see that sooner than later are the ones that end up uh, really excelling uh, quickly and, and making and making that big impact. Um, uh, with how uh, my my title has transformed uh, the most difficult things now is is kind of embracing that what, what I had just said, which is understanding that I want to make a really big impact uh, and so the hardest part now is actually doing that in, which is just wearing multiple hats you know uh, stacking on a lot of things uh, on myself that I want to have my, my hand in every in every pot so uh, but that's the fun part as well so.
1: Wonderful, thank you. So, one other question that comes up is how can industry and academia better collaborate together?
0: Um, you know, I think that's a, that's a very interesting question, and I personally think that there isn't enough collaboration between industry and academia. I uh, love to participate in events like this. I love to participate in the conferences that are mostly uh, poster. Presentation because I find that there is always some researcher that has cracked a very tiny part of an algorithm that uh, maybe I can take and uh, and bring forward. Maybe I have the data that they don't have and they need to actually potentially validate some theory. And so the partnership that can that can start are are huge, but somehow this not obvious it's unless you have a net promoter inside an organization that says i have had positive successes with this and i do see the value generally speaking people don't do that they don't start uh solving a new problem by going and say hey what paper have been published around this particular area they just get in an office, and they try to think about it ex-novo, which is a humongous mistake. And so uh, I find uh, that both uh, inviting uh, uh, university in uh, through the internship program, participating as a company sponsor, having a direct relationship that you establish with various departments is paramount to actually be able to uh, to have both access to the dedicated time that the researcher had and then productize those technology uh, for the future. Absolutely.
2: So so one of the ways that uh, industry and academia collaborate is sort of internships, although it's sort of a little informal, uh, which uh, you mentioned you did quite a few of them. I highly recommend that. I ended up not doing it that many internships as an undergrad, and that was a kind of a stupid thing because I had no idea what was going on. Uh, internships are great. Choose them carefully and work with teams that give you real opportunities. Um, other collaboration we've worked with were, for example, we funded graduate students to do research, uh, which has sometimes worked very well and sometimes less well. And I think it's mostly around alignment of interests. Um, sometimes a grad student is trying to publish papers and, and you know get an academic job. And then it's sometimes hard to find that, that area of joint interest. And sometimes a graduate student is looking to, to go into industry and then you can give them a real opportunity, as you mentioned, maybe you have the data or the systems that they can apply their research to, and those tend to work very well. Um, I also think there, there should be a lot more opportunity to do to do this kind of collaboration because you know it's, it's, that sort of we draw an artificial line and, and in some ways that 's very positive, but in other ways we 're working on similar stuff. often companies are not visionary enough or they just don 't break off enough bandwidth and, and mind share to think about the hard problems. They just solve the solvable problems and the other ones they just push off and don't think about. Uh, those hard problems are areas that really academia could come in and, and move the needle on. So I think there could be a lot more um, and I'm looking for more ways to do that.
3: Yeah. Um, agreed uh, with both of those. I think, I think it's a, a, a question that I come here looking to, to answer for myself. I don't really have um, too good of an answer because I think the, But the more that we can uh, do things like this and and see that, you know, it's not two paths going in, in opposite ways. There is a, a common goals that, that we can find, of course. Um, uh, and being able to apply, I think that hits it on my head too, is like, how can both come together, like having the data in the real world application of certain research things rather than just theoretical or trying to get to, you know, 100% accuracy. Whereas, you know, in a practical world, uh, let's like involve a lot of other things that maybe, you know, uh, certain different uh, aspects of success are the case. And so um, just always looking to, to find those things and do things like this.
1: So one of the things I found uh, very helpful actually was Way back when, when I was a student at Stanford, I actually worked also part-time at HP, and that turned out to work great. It meant that I was able to run all of my experiments about 10 times faster than I would have if I was just doing it by myself, because I had the whole HP team on my side. Mm -hmm. And they all needed to figure out how to get power consumption down in the mobile devices they were building, not just me. Uh, On the other side, um, you know, they didn't have the bandwidth to think about the novel algorithms that I had the bandwidth to think about. And they didn't have the connections that I had at Stanford with some of the top minds in the world who are looking at how do you optimize and how do you model human behavior and so on. Um, so putting these two pieces together turned really uh, valuable for me personally. And it was a ton of fun on top of that. It meant that I could finish in three years. And this is large reason why I ended up staying in at HP afterwards, uh, because I was able to continue that same partnership. But now from the other side, you know, I was able to start funding students and then hiring students. Actually, some of the early ones were from Italy, in fact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, I think it was fun to see that as an employee at a company, I could actually help direct research to some extent and create an environment in which both the student, the faculty, and the company benefit. Um, so when I came to UCSD, I recreated that to some extent, you know, especially with the companies that are relatively close to us. So my first student... Worked extensively with a local company and uh, ended up patenting, I think, about five or six patents. She's now in academia, but some of her work uh, has gone on into products that this company still sells. Um, so I think this can be done. It does require a slightly different mindset. You know, you have to be a little cautious around uh, intellectual property. You know, you have to make some plans around that up front. Um, you have to also be a little uh, clear on what the expectations are because company cannot expect a student to deliver a product that's not going to happen you know and student really uh, should not expect uh, to have access to everything at a company <laughs> you know. um so i think uh, you have to kind of have reasonable expectations and but when you do um then it can be incredibly successful <laughs> Um, so when it comes to tech let transfer... Me, yeah, let me
0: actually add a little bit to that because I think you touched on something that is uh, that is critical that is probably a big blocker in this transfer that is intellectual property. Because at Amazon, for instance, with the incredible resources that the company has, there is a strict policy of absolutely not engaging with anybody external to the point that you know we rather wholesale in a whole research team of people from a very uh, famous university that have got hundreds of patents in ways that are you know uh, incredible and just the company says fantastic do this but you cannot publish paper you cannot continue collaborate with the, with the university just because of the fear that Bezos have of losing an edge over the intellectual property. And I think that uh, needs to be solved. There need to be something that, uh, that uh, potentially need to be put as a framework that is a general engagement framework in the industry so that you don't have this, uh, either people that want to do it or people that uh, simply shy away.
2: A- Amazon collaborates with industry by hiring people from the yeah, RC yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> including several from UCSD. Some of the professors from here are now at Amazon.
1: Right. So what else do you think would help with tech transfer?
2: Well, the IP
0: and IP, uh, you know, a proper, um, a proper framework in which it's very clear who gets to maintain some of the royalty and some of the value that, that exists, right? Some of the, I, uh, you know, even things that are trivial, like the one click, uh, uh, buy that Amazon had, uh, the co- company tend to pr- defend and protect so, Deeply around. And so I think that that is, that is a core area. There is this perception that if you collaborate with a research organization, you're going to have to yield some of the some of the advantages and, and perhaps some research organization are more uh they have better contract and they have a better uh, legal protection because they get to take royalty the company get to take royalty but they uh, don't don't care too much about really truly um, sharing that uh, with the rest of the organization i think that to me though in practice the ip i end up always running into some lawyer that says stop fair, nothing can be done here until we figure it out and they don't have the capability to even understand what we are working on because they're not lawyers that are working from the from the university size and so they are just used to business type of transaction versus the, the complexity of those.
2: I, I think you nailed it there because the big concern is IP and and uh, the big concern is the, is the attorneys once they get involved and you're going nowhere forever. So just kind of a cookie-cutter agreement that's very simple and can be executed in a short amount of time would be tremendously helpful. So you can say, or at least I know what I'm dealing with. We, we collaborate. These are the terms. I don't have to think about it too much.
1: Okay, so are there any questions from the audience? I still have a bunch. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so I've been working on a startup for the last year, and one of the problems that i ran into was um, saying, motivated.
2: Um, I have is how you stay motivated when you're not getting results I have a, so, so there's a, uh, I hate doing sales. I'm really not very good at it, but I've had to do a good bit of it and I've gotten better at it. I have a friend of mine who's passionate about it. And uh, he says, you know, every time somebody turns you down, that's one more of your, you know, you, you have to hit like 10 people or 100 people before you get a yes. You just went one step further. Every no is a step in the right direction. Um, That's not a good answer. Uh, Bottom line is you have to be unreasonably um, optimistic. You have to believe everything in the real world will point to to you, not to it failing and then to to, to it's not working for you. You just have to have the belief. Um, And then you have to couple that with the ability to actually realistically look at what the market's telling you. So sometimes you believe very, very strongly and you have a vision, but it's not a vision that the market's ready for, or it's just a wrong vision. So you have to have an unreasonable faith that you, that it's going to succeed, uh, while also realizing you're probably wrong and it's not, and you have to change direction. Um, I know that makes sense, but basically that's what separates. Um, there's a friend of mine who uh, his first job was at a startup that succeeded tremendously, and and. Uh, had like a $2 billion exit. Um, And then through the next 20 years of his career, he tried to do that. And he failed five times. And on the sixth one, he succeeded, and he made a boatload of money. So uh, I don't know if there's any kind of motivational thing I can give you other than, yeah, you just have to be unreasonable. You have to keep going.
0: My my um, suggestion to somebody that is a startup is that at some point, uh, which might go a little bit against what uh, what uh, his suggestion is, because you obviously have to be super, uh, uh, you know, a true believer in what you're doing. But at some point, I think you need to ask yourself, do you want to be king or do you want to be rich? Because the implementation where you take your startup will go clearly in different direction. My successful exit of my startup was just finding a technology that was needed by somebody, building that technology in 18 months, uh, finding enough uh uh prove that enterprises wanted that technology and then go find the buyer for that particular technology i have run into ceo of startup that are convinced they're going to be the next bezos or the next uh, uh, whoever and you know as many of you might have read in the news we work as a startup went from 47 billion dollar to 7 in 6 weeks because our founder had uh you know, a particular vision of what he thought uh, the company needed to go versus uh, potentially where the reality where the company uh, could have gone. So I think to me, having a clear understanding of where you want to go, it's a uh, powerful uh, uh, rudder to steer you.
1: Any other questions? I'll
2: tell you this. I know a lot of uh, very successful founders, and uh, they're not nearly as much of a genius as you imagine them to be. <laughs> They're just regular people who kept at it. And, and then you go, oh, that guy is really smart. And no, I mean, they're smart. They're very smart. But if you knew them beforehand, you'd be like, all right. And That's, that's why a lot of people that work at startups go on to have successful startups. It's a lot of it as a learning, but a lot of it is realizing, oh, if this idiot can do it, I can do it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so while we're on that, do you have any parting advice for our students as they prepare for their careers? Uh, wow. Um,
0: well, you know, it's uh, it's always hard because, as uh, as I said, I think that I was one of the lucky one. I I fell into a career that uh, I fell into something that I love doing that turned into a career. And uh, to me, the at the end of the day, uh, if you do something you love, you will uh, have a better life. Uh, Regardless, you might not become extremely wealthy, but you're going to wake up every single day going to work and doing the things you really like to do. I love what I do. Uh, There isn't a day in which I don't wake up and said I'm excited to go to work today. I've had uh, times in which uh, I made the wrong choice because maybe I took a job for uh, higher pay and things like that. And uh, after a while, I had to quit because I wasn't doing what I really like to do. So to me, the biggest uh, gift that you can give yourself is find what you love and try to do it every single day of your life.
2: Uh, for me I would say um, you drive you choose where you're going so right now you're in school and there's a bunch of requirements of the classes you have to take to graduate and then and then you go get a job that's a script somebody else wrote uh, you pick what you want to do for, for me um, as an undergrad I, I uh, the most interesting things I did were not classes there was one quarter actually my co-founder was here for lunch We just uh, ended up doing this project in machine learning. And we skipped all our classes. And we published a paper. That's how I connected with my graduate advisor. Um, I did that. That was fantastic. Then in grad school, the internet became a thing. And I'm like, oh, this is way more interesting than the stuff I'm doing. So then I started doing that. And and, um, you can do this. You You can create an open source project. You can create a website. You can create a company. You can create any number of things. That's you driving and you picking the direction. And that's a huge thing in your success. You can follow someone else's script, or you can decide, I'm going to go do X, and then I'm going to figure out how to make that happen. And that'll give you all the skills and all the motivation you need, Even if whatever you choose to do. You, maybe you could get a regular job. Having that ability to do those things and then work over and around the roadblocks will make you successful.
3: Yeah. Um very much agree um for me just from a um to not to not just repeat but um say from a a recruiting standpoint or or anything like that um a lot of students um go through the exact same uh courses or or projects and and stuff like that so um really taking that that passion that you have for something and and making something of your own even while you're especially while you're still in school uh, will help you learn a lot of different things a lot of things Hitting your own roadblocks will help you learn uh, things that nobody would have just taught you or is not written down in a book. Um, so highly advised to just get out there and, and start doing uh, what you're passionate about doing. Um, and that will like, lead you um, to places that you'll enjoy.
1: Thank you very much. Uh, let's thank our panelists.